Welcome to the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Sanders, physical therapist, and together I hope we can explore the best ways to stay fit, healthy, and active as busy adults. We all have a lot on our plate. So what is the most efficient way to exercise, eat, sleep, and train in order to continue to do the activities we love well into our future? I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Today we're talking with Kara Barton. Uh, Kara is our occupational therapist with Fit for Function, as well as doing a thousand other things. So today we'll <laughs> chat with her a little bit, get to see what she does in her free time, and uh, also kind of how she got connected with us at Fit for Function and kind of what she brings to the team. So, so what's going on? I know you just did some crazy race with Phil Weigel. What's the story? And <laughs> this tandem. Um, <laughs> Yeah, we're still doing that. Uh, well, typically, there's a whole cyclocross series through, gosh, end of August through first week of December. But with 2020, most of it's been canceled. So we we still got out to a few races. This is the first one that we ever rode the tandem on a cyclocross course. We have done in a couple gravel races with it, but it's a little a uh, little different on a cyclocross course. So what is a cyclocross course? So I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. It's a closed loop about a mile or so, but it's typically because it's in the fall, it's typically in um, like you're going through mud, sand, a lot of different terrain. And if it's, it's one of those types of races that if it's the worst weather, the better. <laughs> So for me, who gets cold all the time, I was super excited that we squeezed it in before the snowstorm. But for a lot of other cross racers, they were upset that that didn't hit mid-race. Yeah, I don't know about that. So how many laps is it if it's only a mile loop? Depending what, what category you in, you're in, um, which is based on your experience and abilities, uh, the beginners are about 30 minutes and then the advanced riders are an hour. Oh, so it's how many laps you can do, how many laps you can do per time. Yeah. Unless you get laps, then you're doing less. (laughs) They typically, so what they do is they, they time the first, the the leader and they try and get like an average for that hour slot. And so once they usually have like eight laps to go or so, they'll have number cards going down. So you can cut, so then you can actually start strategizing because you're not going to start sprinting until you have you know, one or two laps to go. Gotcha. What percentage of the people are doing this tandem versus on their own bike? Uh, <laughs> we're the only ones. Is it just you guys? I figured. Yeah. Uh, but we won. <laughs> you won overall or you won the tandem side? The tandem division. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the nobody and therefore we won. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I figured. It sounds like a yeah. fill. It sounds like nobody a fill. Nobody else thing. is stupid enough. Yeah, nobody else is stupid enough to drag a tandem out there. <laughs> yeah, it definitely sounds like a fill thing. So, <laughs> anyway, I uh, so I got connected with you at CLE, right? I saw you first as a patient. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How did you get into the CrossFit world and the Olympic weightlifting world? Um, how long have you been doing it? How'd you get connected with that? And kind of what's your background there? Um, so I, it's funny because when I was in college, I hated CrossFit because I couldn't understand why, and you had a free gym for, as a college student, why you would ever pay for it. Cause at 
in Morgantown, where I went to school, there were at at the time there was four CrossFit gyms right in Morgantown, which is crazy. Now I think there's about eight or so. It's blown up there. But um, I when I was in finishing up grad school, I got placed in the middle of nowhere, West Virginia, <laughs> and didn't know anybody. I was living with. Uh, the guy that managed my cycling team, my old cycling team, I was living with his mother-in-law and I was, I needed to meet somebody my age. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, I had a high school friend that had become a CrossFit coach and I kind of knew a little bit about it, gone to a couple classes with her and the gym that was in that town that I was living in, it was pretty cheap to join as a student. So I gave it a try and end up really, really, I mostly like the Olympic weightlifting portion. So that's the direction I went in, gotcha. but I ended up obviously really liking it because I met you a year later. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, so how long total was that CrossFit? That's been at least, been at least a few years, right? Four years. Cause Four years. Um, I met the way I met my husband is he was my first CrossFit coach. Classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was so in I've been doing CrossFit exactly four years ago because our anniversary will be coming up at some point. <laughs> that's that's one good way to keep track of it, I guess. <laughs> so you're you're an occupational therapist by trade. Like that's what you do. Mm-hmm. Um and then you kind of got into the manual therapy and the dry needling world. What brought you into that? Uh, well, so my the first time I got introduced to dry needling, I was a sophomore in college, and I was so at this point I was only racing road bikes, and like most road cyclists, I could get on my bike and go for a while, but I had zero bike handling skills. <laughs> so a kid that I was on my team that was a really good mountain biker was determined to teach me how to mountain bike, and I went out with him and put the handlebar right into my quad. So that I might, the guy that I actually raced for a team that was, I guess you would say owned by a physical therapist. Mm-hmm. And, um, because he owned the team and was my cycling coach, he was like, we're going to do dry leading. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever you say, I guess I'm going to agree to. <laughs> so, um, but I was definitely afraid of needles. <laughs> so we would sit there and barter on. You still kind of are, right? Yeah. So I'm a lot better. Right. <laughs> I don't pass out on the table every time one needle goes into me now. <laughs> so that's not, un- definitely- that's, not that? un- that's not uncommon for our patients, right? Like people are nervous yeah. about needles. What, um, yeah. what would you tell somebody that was nervous about doing dry needling? Like obviously you've become oh. a fan over the years, but. Um, what I you, still what tell people about? now it's literally so much worse in your head. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it really doesn't feel that bad, but in your head, you make it out to be horrible. And that's the only time really that it hurts. What do you, what do you mean by that? Um, so when as you, as you're laying there and you know, it's coming and you can hear the paper unwrapping and <laughs> you're like, you're sitting there like, Oh my God. Oh my God. And it's just in your head. It's you're about to just get your whole arm cut off. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, even when I'm on your table, I'm like, I'm, I'm moving my feet, I'm moving my hands, doing anything to distract myself because I'll mm-hmm. just make it 
I'll just keep building it up to make it seem like it's about to be the worst experience of my life. <laughs> yeah. They've never bothered me. So like, um, I can't appreciate that. Right. It's always kind of been like, I don't even feel them. Right. You put them in whatever. And if you do get that, like right. achy, you get that achy sensation. It's like, a, Ooh, that was perfect. Like I want that. Yeah. So I've never, uh, I can't relate, but uh, there's definitely, there's definitely people that yeah. are super nervous about it. Yeah. Yeah. Once after I took the dry needling course, I, so I'm super blind. I've had glasses since I was, I think in like second grade. So I've got, I'm, you know, pretty confident with, but at least of my handling skills, I would take my contacts out and dry needle myself. So I couldn't see it. <laughs> and that's how I taught myself how to do it on my, that's how you build good hands. Don't, nobody else should do that. It's <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> I, you know, I, I kind of jokingly say when you can needle yourself one-handed behind your back, you know you're good, right? <laughs> needle your own back. And... You, know, you said to me as a joke before, and I 100% thought you were serious. <laughs> I was like, oh, all right, let's try it. <laughs> I, I mean, I've definitely needled my own low back. <laughs> see i haven't done my low back but like trying to get like lat and stuff mm. one time i called my husband and i was just pull this muscle away so i can stick the needle in there and he's fumbling all around I'm like all right just leave let me just do this myself <laughs> yeah i stay away from the trunk uh, the like the thorax uh, i stay away from that but low back yeah it's a little sketchy yeah i want no, to be able to it. you gotta be super confident <laughs> yeah your hands definitely get better um, I mean, you, you've been active, you've been hurt many times. Why do you think dry needling, even though you're like nervous about it, why do you still do it? Um, mostly because I've seen injuries that I can like acquire that dry needling has helped. So yeah. So my old physical therapist, um, he, he used on my, I mean, it, it, it was really the only thing that helped it. Um, there was a, a lot of scar. I mean, you could imagine it. You, you looked at my leg and it would just kind of go all the way in from that handlebar went in, but, and it took months of dry needling in that area. But it, I mean, you would never, I mean, I can feel it cause I know exactly where to feel, but looking at my leg, you wouldn't even see, it, see anymore. it anymore. Um, and then, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the only issue, cause other than that, the only issues I have are, you know, I have some residual hip issues from that injury, but nothing, nothing from that from that quad you're still um, doing or at least lo no local pain like there was before um yeah uh and then gosh when i met i'm trying to think the first injury i had when i met you um i think it was your back, it, I think it was back low back was or it back? something so yeah, yeah the two two bigger injuries with you that we worked on it with so i heard either those three discs in my low back um and obviously, I mean, that, that was, we dry needled the crap out of that area. That was a and process. Also, I mean, we did a lot of stuff. That was a process yeah. for sure. But yeah. It was three and different then, herniations, right? Like, I can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember the levels off the top of my head right now, but I know it was multiple. Yeah, all, all in the lumbar spine. I, <laughs> I, uh, cause I had started, I went and got an MRI and a chiropractor had, you know, had ordered it for me. And I just, I, I was doing home health at the time and he called me up. He's like, what are you doing right now? I was like, sitting in my car, documenting, documenting at work. He's like, 
you know, I'm looking at your MRI and I feel like you should be in the emergency room right now. I'm like, oh, well, uh, I got to keep, keep finishing up work. because. <laughs> That's what Dave and I talked about last day. Dave and I on that What's last that? Ep- Dave and I on that last episode. That's exactly what we talked about. Like you were fine. You were still lifting. You were still working out. But then you see that MRI and it's like, uh, like this is how I'm supposed to feel because of this image. And, yeah. Uh, it, uh, you know, even even knowing what I know, I feel like it would mess. With, it would mess with you. I hurt my yeah. I hurt my shoulder once, like um, pretty bad. Like I I was pretty confident there was a tear of some type, and I refused mm-hmm. to get an MRI. I didn't want to get an MRI because. I was like, if I know it's torn, then it's going to mess with me. <laughs> like, it's, I don't want to yeah. know. You know, I was getting better. Yeah. I was moving and strong. And now my shoulder's fine. And um, I kind of want to get an MRI now just to know, like, did I tear, you know, was there a tear in the cuff or the labrum or something like that? But yeah, yeah. neither here nor there. Yeah, I, um, cause like right now I'm working through like some pec lat stuff and my, my chiropractor friend, she was like, well, we send you for some imaging. I'm like, to do what? <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I mean, a giant waste of an afternoon for me to change nothing. <laughs> right. I, Broken. <laughs> if it's if it's a scenario where you think they're like you may consider surgery, right? Like you've exhausted options. Yeah. It may be a surgical scenario. Then I think imaging makes a lot of sense, right? And or yeah. something's not responding the way you expect, right? Like mm-hmm. things should be changing by now. It hasn't changed. Let's see what's yeah. going on, right? That that makes sense to me. But to like start with an MRI, like right out the gate. Yeah. No. If you think it you can rehab you, it. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody. And there's been slow and steady progress. So as long as there's slow, like, uh, even if it's slow, as long as there is progress, that's fine by me. Right. Exactly. Right. As long as it's heading the right way. Right. And yeah, you know, some things take roads, but most insurance companies it, require it. Yeah. yeah. They require that six visits or whatever before you can get an MRI. The problem yeah. there is the doc tells the patient, Hey, you have to do your six visits just to get the MRI. So then there's like no dedication into the, you know, the mindset is that this is just a hurdle I got to accomplish and it never works anyway, but it's interesting. That whole, that whole cycle psychology of seeing the, seeing the pain and and what do you do about it? But yeah, yeah. I'd rather just not know. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> it's not Sometimes getting, you it's getting better, then I'm fine. Right, right. But, and then uh, the un- I, I thought it was before all those herniations was when I hyperextended my elbow at the Arnold. I, that might have been the first injury I went to see you for. I thought the elbow was first. Or the, yeah, the back yeah. was first. Oh, I don't know. But that was the other big injury I came for you for, that we just put about a million needles right into the elbow. <laughs> There's a cool picture of like a bunch of half inch needles, that whole, that yeah. whole side. I don't know where that photo is at, but there's a cool one. We'll, uh, we'll pull that, that image up. <laughs> we'll throw it back Thursday. <laughs> so I had to make sure you're ready for the course. <laughs> ready for the driving room course. Yeah, that's, that's probably the scariest part about the driving link course. If you're afraid of needles, then you're, I was very, very fortunate. My first, because uh, I did the course twice. The mm-hmm. first course I had, the one guy in my group of three had already done a drinking course before. So I got this, whatever. So me, and the other girl were very fortunate because both of us are a little afraid of needles. And he was already <laughs> pretty decent. And you have three people who's never needled before being like, oh, here we go. Choose, choose your seat wisely. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Choose your seat wisely. 
Uh, <laughs> it's the one uh, when you're in college, you always try and sit in the back of the room, and after college, you're always trying to pick, <laughs> pick the front seats. <laughs> right seats. No, I mean I've I've taught who knows how many needling courses now, and every time there's somebody that's afraid of needles, and it's almost always that you know, kind of once you get going, it's it's fine. It's that anticipation. Yeah. It's the anticipation of what it's going to feel like because. For most people, the only thing you can think about is that shot at a doctor's office. And um, mm-hmm. the needles are so thin that, you know, they certainly don't have that like sharp piercing kind of feel. It's just like a, it's a flick and an ache and it's, you know, yeah, it's a weird and feeling really, though. Yeah. And really it's, I'm, I'm typically fine until I start seeing, it's, it's getting blood work done. It's seeing the stuff going in and out of my skin. I'm like, mm, nope, <laughs> we're passing out. Yeah. Oh, so the other thing I want to make sure we touch on, um, you know, you've been real, like you're super active. You got the horses, you do the, the bike stuff, the CrossFit stuff. How did you blend in your occupational therapy? Because I feel like that's not the normal course for you to kind of end up doing all this active stuff and treating people in a CrossFit gym. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that's not the normal course for somebody that's an occupational therapist. So how did you, how do you think you ended up down that road or what drove you that way? (laughs) I think it really was the accumulation of really just hurting myself over and over. (laughs) I I even, (laughs) even, uh, so I, 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 gosh, I don't even know if I had started because I went into, when I applied to WVU, I went in with the, um, notion that I was going to go to OT school. So I was a human performance and health major. Uh, that I did that I did that in for three years before I went into grad school and stayed at WVU for grad school. And I'm trying to think which year it was, maybe my sophomore or junior year that I was at my that PT's office and every every single person has to fill out that same questionnaire of can you squat? Can you you know, pick your groceries up and it's, and it's just very daily tasks where you're sitting there like, yeah, I can, I can do this. I can do this. And you, but like, I just remember like sitting at the end of this questionnaire, like, should I not be at the (laughs) physical therapy office? I can do all these things. But in reality, I couldn't actually do the things that matter to me because, you know, I, I, uh, you know, couldn't train at the level that I wanted to. I wasn't obviously competing because I was injured and, um, and even before that, Christ, I, so I went into WVU playing rugby, uh, got super hurt doing that. So I decided to play a non-contact sport of cycling and <laughs> I found a way to hurt ways to hurt myself doing that too. <laughs> I don't know a cyclist that hasn't had contact. Yeah. I, yeah. I remember my first uh, cycling concussion. My, my, I called my dad. He's like, Oh God. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, I don't know, maybe the piano? <laughs> I'll find a way to just fall off the piano bench. <laughs> you'll, get, you'll get carpal tunnel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but that was probably, that stuck with me all through OT school of, because with OT, the biggest, I mean, the biggest driving force is, can the person get dressed? Can the person use the bathroom? And even though, yes, I care about those things a great deal, if that person doesn't have any sort of motivation or drive to get out of bed in the morning because they, you know, especially I've worked in geriatrics most of my career, a lot of, I, the amount of times I've had 
goals of just trying to get this person back to bingo <laughs> or back to playing golf. So they want to get out of bed and get dressed and is, um, I think a huge hole that a lot of therapists don't actually hit. They, they see like, Oh, they're dressed. They're good. They don't need therapy, but then what? Yeah. What are they going to do the rest of the other, the other hours of the day that they're awake? I mean, in, in a large scale, that's a problem because the insurance companies don't cover that, right? So from yeah. if you're going to play the insurance game and you say, hey, I want to get this person golfing. Well, the insurance mm-hmm. company's not going to pay for that because they don't care. Mm-hmm. They just need you to be able to get up and walk around the house. And, yeah. you know, they're trying to. So they're going to deny your coverage and you're not going to get paid. And it's a, it's a mess, um, mm-hmm. which is why I love what we do being out of network. We can, this person has a goal. We can work on it. and. Um, we don't, you know, we don't have to change our decisions and modify things because, you know, the insurance company's telling us, no, that's not therapy based. Yeah. You know, it's crazy. And I mean, Med A is so much worse than Med B. It's like Med A, you have a patient who can't get out of bed and they're like, mm, see him eight times and they'll be better. It's like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, my, I mean, my favorites used to always be somebody come in with a total knee, right? They had a surgery that we know is going to be, you know, however many visits and they'd approve three visits at a time. You're like, come yeah. on, like, why do we got to do this every three visits and reapply for more? And, uh, yeah, it was a, you know, it's a surgery. We know what's going to happen. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was a mess. I, I, the fact that the insurance company dictated your decision-making, it just, it never sat well with me. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah. I I hate med A. I I yeah. hate it so much. I, I'm very fortunate that I do. Oh, I don't have to deal with that very often. Yeah. Well, we start blowing things up at CrossFit CLE here, and uh, we can do more of this stuff, right? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So you've been injured your fair number of times. How has that changed your training? Like, do you think about it different? Do you? Do you do prehab type things? Like what have, what do you change to try to stop hurting yourself? Gosh. Yeah. So, um, a, there's been a lot of change. And even as I've gotten older, I, <laughs> I don't bounce back as well as I used to when I was in college. Um, sleep is, I, I look at that a lot more. And even on top of that, just trying to get to bed at this, around the same time, waking up around the same time every day is a huge help. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as, you know, the, ty- the types of food I'm eating is a, like a huge, I mean, you're just going to recover a lot better when you're actually eating your protein and your vegetables and you're not getting a diet of beer and donuts <laughs> as much as most people wish that that was yeah. the case. Um, and then while I'm actually at the gym, I definitely do much more of a warm up, And usually my warm up also includes some sort of like rehab prehab of what area. Cause there's, I mean, just because I am competing in things, there's always something that is a little tweaky, a little achy. So right now my, um, every time I'm going to the gym, I'm doing something for like pec and lat and some shoulder stability. Cause that's, that's my weakness right now. I'm sure probably in a few months it's going to go to my hips and <laughs> it's always going to be moving. Um, but then the, the other big thing is, cooling down after I'm working out because that's something I never used to do. And that, that creeps up on you significantly. Yeah. Uh, when you said, because I'm competing, there's always something bothering me. What, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. 
Because I think that's an important delineation there. Oh yeah. So I mean, it's it's the big it's the big difference of especially and CrossFit. CrossFit is a great example. You know, because a lot of people, especially if you don't do CrossFit, you you think of it as the games and everybody is going in there full force and being competitive athletes. When in reality, 99% of the members are going in there for general health and wellness. And, but it's, if you're going in there for general health and wellness, you're not pushing yourself to the same extent as if you're doing something competitive, when you're doing something competitive, you're trying to push those limits. And it's at that, at that limitation where you're going to, where you have that bigger risk of hurting yourself because you know, you're seeing what you're capable of because that's what's right. going to win competitions or races. And, um, I mean, even, I mean, that's how the, like, I think it was the first injury I had with you when I hyperextended my elbow was at the Arnold. I was, if I was in training or if maybe if I just didn't compete in the Olympic weight at all, I would have dropped that snatch immediately because I was in the middle of a competition. I ran 20 steps forward <laughs> to catch it. I remember that video. <laughs> eventually I got under it and it went behind me did not did not make it and got hurt because of it no lift anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a shot yeah. I wasn't going to give up on it that easy yeah. no I think that's I think that's a super important point um of pushing yourself to those limits and, and there's some fun to that right like it's enjoyable mm-hmm. um, I think it would be interesting to see if we could like kind of narrow in for the person just looking for general health and wellness. Could you somehow narrow in how often they're competing at the gym, right? Cause every, literally every workout's an opportunity to like push yourself to a comp, you know, a 99% yeah. effort. So could yeah. you dial that in as far as, you know, twice a week or once a week is what we're going to go kind of hammer that. And what's that look like in a CrossFit program versus, mm-hmm. you know, cause if you look at, um, Olympic weightlifting, for example, like you don't, you don't test 95% plus all that often, right? You do a lot of reps, mm-hmm. sets of twos and threes at 85 and 90. And, um, and then once a week, maybe you go for a max or, or once every two weeks yeah. or whatever your program is. I feel like in CrossFit, there's an opportunity to go for a max all the time, right? So how do you dial that in? And I think, I think Phil actually does a pretty good job and, and yeah. uh, I think they do at, at Cadre as well, kind of doing the podcast ahead of time to kind of. So I think there's definitely two parts of that. So on one hand is the programmer. So at CLE, Phil, mm-hmm. um, who, the programmer has to be able to look at it in a way where they're, they're not completely crushing their members. Um, but on top of that, the co- even if it's the programmer who's not, you know, coaching every single class, whoever those coaches are, have to be able to stand at the whiteboard and say, this is what we're going for today. Um, and it's then at, after that, the, it's the athlete's responsibility to put their ego aside and not crush themselves and actually listen to the coach. Right. So there's, there's a lot of different multiple levels to that. It's, but it definitely starts from the programmer himself. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've unfortunately heard that from, um, from a few people of, you know, and even myself, gosh, I've been, cause I've moved around a lot. Um, I, I've been a member of a lot of gyms <laughs> over the past four years and they're, um, 
you know, it, it's kind of awesome that CrossFit gyms are so different from one another, but sometimes that does have its cons where you go to some gyms and you're just like, oh my gosh, like, yeah. how are, you know, it's, it's unfortunate. But Sealy and Cadre do a great job, which is why I think all the, know, even though I live farther away, I'm still a member of CLE. Yeah. I think all the gyms that, that um, we kind of frequent, I think everybody does a really, the coaches are, you know, everybody's like, oh, CrossFit coaches, this and that. Like, the CrossFit coaches I know are excellent. Like they know more yeah. about movement than, than just about anybody else in the field. Um, so I've never oh, seen yeah. that. I've never seen that as an issue uh, when people talk about CrossFit gyms. I think, I don't know if it's an educational piece or what, but when I look at, you know, the CrossFit coach is programming for a group fitness class. But mm-hmm. if, you know, you have some stress in your life and you haven't slept for the last three nights, and you've been eating, you know, sugary, crappy diets because you're stressed out. It doesn't matter what's mm-hmm. on the program. Like you need to back off that day because, yeah. you know, if you try pushing to your hundred percent on a day where your system's not at a hundred percent, you're in trouble. So yeah. I, I think there's gotta be, um, there's gotta be some ownership on the athlete side and um, whether that's mm-hmm. an educational piece or an ego piece or whatever, but there's no way a coach can program for a group class and know that you know, you traveled this week or you, you know, you've been up till two in the morning with work or whatever it is, because I think most of the injuries I see have very little to do with technique. Like occasionally, I think most of them are just fatigue based nervous system shuts down and and now you, now you can't stabilize. Um, And it's a lot of, um, I see it a lot with, especially those athletes who maybe just got out of college or still in college and they're trying to push themselves, you know, it's either the college age where they're trying to push themselves like they did in high school or just out of college. And they're just trying to push themselves the way they were as college athletes. And they just, I mean, there's just so much more demand in terms of that, now they that, have work and responsibility yeah. and <laughs> that keeps going. You know, I you can take that every age category. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, you can see, I don't, I don't really race road bikes anymore. And whenever somebody asks why it's like, well, I think my boss would frown upon it. If I just skipped work and went for a bike ride, like I used to do in college, (laughs) it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you got to prioritize your time and, and your energy Mm -hmm. and everything else. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's an interesting, and I think that's something that, um, well, with our online stuff, that fit for tomorrow stuff, that's really what I want to focus on is how do we educate people? Uh, to help make those decisions and you actually talked to me yeah. to get in the whoop band um you and, you and Clint Weigel um but that's it's kind of cool to have that data right you can kind of see yeah. heart rate variability and um you know mm-hmm. whatever their calculation is on an algorithm kind of gives you that idea if you're ready um yeah I, I honestly yeah I I I use it a lot, especially because I'm, I'm a little stubborn. Uh, I use it a lot when I can sometimes get a little hard headed, like, oh, no, it's Tuesday. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to do this today. And I can look and be like, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> maybe I'll I can rearrange my day and push it back a day. Yeah, push the high intensity to the end of the week or something like that when you're a little more, mm-hmm. you've gotten some sleep, you know? Um, yeah. When you're feeling, because there's days where you just don't feel it. Um, yeah. That doesn't, I think... I think it's easy to not even go to the gym on those days, which is probably a bad choice because now you're like setting yourself up for failure, but could you go to the gym, but then dial it down a little bit, you know, still go through the routine. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, 
I, th- I think there's a lot of value in being just being able to listen to your body in general. And just kind of like, uh, like today, I'll just go for like take the dogs for a walk or just go on a hike. Like that's that's the, p- the piece where a lot of people miss because the problem, the one problem when you are programming for a large group of people is that you not every single person is showing up to the gym every day. So it's hard for um, a programmer to put in a, you know, easy midday workout. You, they can't really, because, you know, uh, if you're, if not all the members are on the same schedule, some are, you know, showing up twice, only showing up twice a week. They're, they don't, if they're only showing up twice a week, they don't need that easy day. So that's, that's really when it falls on the athlete themselves. Yeah. I've always thought CrossFit programming has got to be the hardest thing just because there's so mm-hmm. many, there's so many things you can do. There's so many variables. And then like you're saying, what if this person's three days a week versus this person who's five days a week, this person's who's like programming CrossFit's got to be, it's a beast. That's got to be tough. Yeah. 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 And then I, I, I want to make sure we tie in some of the nutritional stuff um, because you also do some nutritional work. Yeah. I've been, I've been playing with watching the whoop band as well as checking my blood sugar on food. It's interesting how much just change it. Not like, if you go out, if you go out and have some drinks, it's going to mess with you. Like if you have some alcohol, that's going to, yeah, that's, Oh yeah. Whatever. That's Your recovery is going to be horrible. <laughs> right. Um, that's, so I've only, since having a whoop band, I've only like had drinks once and I woke mm-hmm. up feeling like crap that morning. And I looked at my phone and my whoop band told me that I was supposed to be feeling like crap. And I was like, <laughs> okay, right. This thing does something. Right. Um, but even like, uh, like, if you do like a heavy carb meal or eat late at night, like some of those things mm-hmm. also. So, Oh yeah. How do you coach up? How do you coach up your nutrition athletes? Like what do you have them watch for and what do you try to do with them? So um, it's kind of, it's very, it's kind of difficult to answer because everybody is so different. So from a foundational point of things, you want to look at their habits. So like, especially like even for me, something that I'm currently working on because I, you know, have a lot going on in the day. Sometimes I find myself getting home and needing like 2000 calories. And that's not something you want to do at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. That's when you do see that whoop in telling me that I'm not as recovered as I should be. Um, but it is making sure that you're getting in the correct macros, but I don't necessarily like the just the macro based coaching where if you hit these certain numbers, then you're good because same thing, you know, if, if that's all you're looking at as a coach, that athlete very well could be coming home at the end of the day and eating a hundred grams of protein and that's all they're eating. And, but their numbers look fine because that's, they're just adding them up. Um, so it, in reality, you really have to be looking at, you know, when like when and what they're doing around their meals as well as what their plate actually looks like you know do they actually have a well-balanced plate of you know healthy fats healthy carbs um including you know your fiber with your and your vegetables and not just you know all of my carb via twizzlers and <laughs> then crush some tuna at night <laughs> yeah i think the macro the macro thing is very interesting to me because mm-hmm. if you're purely just looking at weight loss I feel like there's a lot of people that would argue if your macros are right, you'll still lose weight. Um, and I, I don't, I mean, that's not my area of expertise, but yeah, there's so much more than just weight loss to, to what you're eating and, and how you're. Yeah. Feeling. So, so. It, 
Yeah, if you're if you're in a caloric deficit, you're going to lose weight. The problem is is um, one: are you going to feel like complete horse poop in the process, yeah. <laughs> and just having like absolutely zero energy? Um, but also, it's the sustainability of you know once that weight's off. If your habits were horrible getting there, it's, it's the chances of it coming right back on, you end up just wasting your time and yeah. setting yourself up for failure because chances are you you know, probably increased your intensity of working out or didn't change anything at all. So there's just, there's so many factors that come into play there. Yeah. I've been, I've been reading a lot and become super interested with like uh, time restricted eating and fasting. Uh, A lot of the, Mm -hmm. like the big names and longevity and aging and that kind of stuff, it seems like they're going down that road and look at how insulin affects those things. Do you mess with that at all? We've never talked about this. So I like it. it. That's a tricky subject. So when, when it comes to guys, I find it, it works a lot better. It gets a lot more trickier when you're working with females because it can mess with um, like their menstrual cycle and that can start getting a little bit tricky. Um, are, you talking, are you talking about fasting or like time restricted? Like where you're like depends, taking well, I guess it depends how, 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 how long your time restricted is. How long are you, how long are you not eating for? I'm just kind of reading about it, really. But I, I mean, you see 12 hours, so like 12 hour window, 11 hour yeah. window of food. I've seen 16. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's like one, maybe two meals a day, and then uh, yeah, and then a lot of these guys are talking about doing like three days of, you know, water plus some supplement kind of fasting. Um, I think Phil did like four days a week ago, which Phil did. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Just for fun. <laughs> you want to talk about mental toughness, Phil? Uh, I didn't know he did that. I'm going to have to ask him about it. Because I've been reading a ton and kind of just just kind of poking my head to see what they're doing. And um, in the chronic so, disease in the chronic disease world, it, it seems interesting. Every once in a while, I'll do a day or so. Um, because I've before I had tried it, a lot, most people had told me that they feel this like clarity and, you know, increased energy, which I was like, all right, let me give this a try. Every time I've done a 24 hour fast, I felt like horrible. (laughs) Can't concentrate whatsoever. Uh, I don't see a world where it's going to feel good, but. No, (laughs) I, I think those people are completely full of it. Trying to tell me that uh, they're going to feel better after they do, do any sort of fasting. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I, I've, I'm interested in it. Something definitely I want to look at more. But I think in general, if people yeah. could just, if we could get, like, I recommend, you know, whole food diets all the time because mm-hmm. if you start getting inflammatory type foods, it's trouble to pain, right? And that's what people are seeing me is pain, right? They're seeing us for issues. Um, so, go ahead. So sorry. Yeah, as, um, but I guess, like, something, I guess, to touch on that is something that I, I don't like are the people that eat every three hours because that's what they're told to do. And that's what they've heard is work. Cause they have uh, to, you know, fire the metabolism up. I don't, sure. that's something I don't particularly like because most of the times people end up eating when they're not even hungry and they lose all sorts of, uh, ability to actually listen to their body and any sort of hunger cues. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're trying to manage insulin levels and blood sugar levels, but there's other, there's other ways to do that than just mm-hmm. eating all the time. Cause that, that's gotta be impossible to manage. Uh, and yeah. hard to do. So yeah, I don't it's know. a the, lot of planning. Yeah. The nutrition world 
you got to have, I mean, you got to at least be paying attention to it because from a systemic standpoint, how your whole body's feeling it, it's right up there with sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not getting the sleep, it doesn't work and and, and nutrition, same, same kind of game. So kind of interesting. I don't feel very good when I have dairy and, um, but it's, it's very interesting. I, so for me, if I have, I, I, there's a certain threshold I can have (laughs) once I have too much, I'll, I'll get horrible stomach pains, but also, old, like, like old injuries start to, to, I start to feel achy. So it's like my, you know, elbow starts to feel achy, knees start to feel achy. And that it really shows you, uh, how inflammatory some foods can be in the body, but yeah. it's different for everybody. So, you know, dairy might not work for me, but you know, for not, not with you, that's a horrible example. <laughs> I don't think dairy works well for you either. Huh? Dairy doesn't do, no, me and dairy don't get along, but that's, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I used to love cheese and stuff, but for some reason, I don't, it doesn't do well. That um, old injuries hurting when you're like inflamed. That's so yeah. common. Uh, yeah. Like I hear it all the time. I, I think that those old injuries, those nerves have become sensitized and your brain remembers mm-hmm. that injury. So when the whole body gets inflamed, they become, they're already more sensitive. So their alarm bell goes off sooner. I, I, that's yeah. my, that's my theory, but I, I see, that, yeah. a, I see that a lot. The, and if the that, brain is so used to sending those signals that they're just like, mm, okay, let's just fire these back up. <laughs> yep. Those nerves are already kind of hard. Like they're, they're set a little higher. Their sensitivity levels a little higher. So I, I don't know, you know, that's, that's just a thought, but uh, I could see a reality in that. But yeah, I've been, I've been yeah. gluten dairy free for, I don't know, seven years probably. Um, wow. And dairy just makes me like, like phlegmy. Like I get like sinusy. And, uh, oh, I, yeah, yeah. I remember, I think you went to a wedding and had some pizza before the day before I saw you yeah. and, uh, you were, you would have, I would have sworn that you had like the horrible flu. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, I just pizza. And now with COVID, I'd have to take a week off. Like I'd be, you yeah. know, let's go get a test, take two weeks off. Can't afford, can't afford to have any milk. Um, but no, my wife yells at me cause I snore. Like if I if I have like something with some dairy in it, I'll I'll uh, I'll snore for the next couple of days. Wow! So, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, uh, that's that is super interesting to me. I, I um I I guess going back to your to your original question, I I would love to see more research on on like fasting and some time restricted eating. Yeah, yeah. There's a I, I've I've just started to dabble in this, but there's definitely some animal studies and. I've been reading people's like I've started by watching people's content and like reading books and then hopefully that helps me kind of decide where to go. I don't know that research as well as I, you know, I would a physical therapy or dry needling or, you know, that kind of stuff. So yeah, I do. I do just read some content on that, but cool stuff, cool stuff. So what else? So that was, you know, we got a good 45 minutes in there. What are you, uh, (laughs) what are you interested in right now? What's your, uh, What's your biggest interest right now? So, you know, it's actually fine because what, something that I am super interested in r- right now is literally what we just talked about of how certain foods are inflammatory to some as compared to others, um, as well as anti-inflammatory and using certain foods to help yourself recover between workouts. Mm-hmm. And then on a completely different note, <laughs> because technology has uh, figured out how to advertise to certain people. Um, I don't know if I'll ever even 
want to pay this much because Graston is incredibly expensive, but they keep emailing me um, their new equine Graston course. <laughs> and that might be something that fit for function, get the little <laughs> chin down the road after the amount of uh, rehab I had to do with my horse last year. <laughs> I like that. I've been finding that incredibly interesting. Like, I'm going to, my dogs are going to start getting super annoyed. And once I started uh, taking some scraping tools to them. <laughs> you do needling too. You could do yeah. tools and needles. Yeah. People, yeah. Pay, people pay big money to have their uh, horses and pets dry needled. I had yeah, a lady, I'm a... I had a lady take a dry needling course only because she wanted to take this pet needling course and she had to have a cert first. So she, Oh, she huh. came to our course not to treat patients, but because she wanted to go and uh, take this animal <laughs> needling course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, function might have a different population that <laughs> we're working with in a few years from now. It might be horses and dogs. <laughs> hey, I feel like with the connections you have, and I, I've, I know plenty of people that, that have horses, uh, we, could, we could make that happen. We could make that happen. <laughs> And a whole day just it's funny when I was in college um well so I went I was I was lucky enough to go into college with a bunch of credits and so I had some a lot of leftover room and one semester I took a equine hoof and limb class and everybody made fun of me like when are you ever going to use that information what a joke of a class <laughs> and Here then after my course completely shattered scapula, I was like, that was the most beneficial course I had <laughs> all of undergrad. <laughs> the horse, the horse thing is a tough road. I, I don't know how you guys do it. <laughs> I feel like between the horse getting hurt and the horse rider getting hurt, like there's always something yeah. going on. Yeah. No, you know, and I guess bring it back to one of our first topics. You know, horses are the same way. You can you can get on a horse and go for a nice, easy trail ride, or you can get on a horse and be very prepared <laughs> to hurt yourself. Yeah, not for me. Not for me. All right. Well, hey, that was fun. Where can uh, obviously they can find you with us at Fit for Function? Where else can they find uh, if they want to learn more about you and what you're up to? So, yes, Fit for Function, and then they can find more about nutrition at opnnutrition.com for occupational performance nutrition. Perfect. All sorts of awesome information. More food. And you put out a lot of content on uh, Instagram and stuff as well through that. Is, yeah. Uh, so definitely check Instagram, that out. Instagram, Facebook, and you can subscribe to get, uh, get our notifications because we always have some new blogs going up as well just on, on some nice topics. Awesome. All right, Kara, this was fun. We'll, uh, I'll talk to you again. This is fun. Yeah, we'll do it again. All right, sounds good. All right, we'll see you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for enjoying the Fit for Tomorrow podcast. Hope you're able to pick up a few things to help you live and move better. We'd really appreciate a like, share, review, or follow in order to help us continue to grow this podcast and help more people like you looking to feel and move better as active adults. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.